Amen. Have a seat. It's time. It's time. <laughs> go, go, go. She's ready for you. All right, good morning, church. It's so good to see you this morning. Um, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. If, hey, if you don't know me, my name's JT. I'm one of the pastors here at Freshwater. I'm so thankful that you're here today. If you're wondering what's happening, this is our parade of children. We love for our children to worship with their parents, to worship with their families, and then we send them off to, well, to learn about Jesus, um, to learn about Jesus. We teach the kids, if you don't know this, we teach the kids the gospel every single week. We walk through the gospel project, and they're back there learning Bible stories and how all of those stories point to um, our salvation in Jesus Christ, and it's really kind of a, a beautiful thing. And so before we get going, I just want to say thank you to everybody that came to the marriage conference. Um, yeah, who wooed? TJ, thanks for the woo. He's, he's like, yeah, thanks for the woo. Um, we had like 30 people there. I think we had 15 couples that came to the marriage conference. Um, I don't, it's not a competition, but our size compared to the other church's size, for us to have 30 people there, um, we won. We, we won the competition, <laughs> not that it was about that. And we actually had um, people like, David, I'm sorry, he couldn't come, man. His family's got COVID. That's not cool. Um, so they couldn't be there. We had a couple of families that wanted to be there that couldn't. Um, and so I'm so thankful that you came. Um, man, it was a, for me, it was a really, really rich time. Um, I loved the whole thing. I loved how personal it felt. I, felt how, I loved how authentic it felt. It didn't feel like we were putting on some big conference. It felt very real and very practical and very gospel-centered. Um, so there's something else I loved about the conference, too. I'm about to embarrass someone. Essie, can you come here real quick? Um, if you don't know Esther, Esther is one of um, our deacons at Freshwater. So if you don't know her, like our deacons kind of operate with like their main role is member care to take care of all of you. But really, I don't know if you look at the qualifications for a deacon in scripture, you know what the qualifications are? Christian. Like the deacon, that's, that's it. The, the, the reason that we have the role of deacon is one, to be example of faith to follow. And Esther would never say she's got it all figured out, right? That's not what the role of a pastor or deacon is. But we do need a place where we can say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. That's a very biblical thing. Not that we have it all figured out, but we trust Jesus Christ. Um, but also deacons are, are kind of there to help take care of the people, right? That, that's the role. My main role is to pray and to preach and declare while also taking care of people. And the deacon's role is to really make sure our people are taken care of in whatever, whatever way is needed. That's their primary focus. Can a deacon still teach sometimes? Of course, right? But that's their main focus. That's my main focus. And I just wanted to thank Essie. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to embarrass her right now, but she, she's led by example this weekend. Do you know who came to the marriage conference this weekend? Esther. If you don't know, Esther's a widow, and she feels like God's called her to singleness, which, like, Scripture literally says, if you choose singleness for the Lord, that is a blessing from the Lord. Like, the Lord blesses that. So praise God that Esther is very confident in what the Lord has called her to. But she came to the conference. Do you know why? I could let her tell you, but one, like, of course, she got to hear the gospel. Marriage is a reflection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So yeah, she got to hear the gospel and be encouraged, but she came because she disciples women who are married and knew that she could learn more and she could be centered in the gospel so she could pour truth into the people that she disciples. Church, that's the kind of Christians that we need to be. Esther is not perfect. I'm not saying like, here's the perfect example of everything Christian, right? And she's not saying that. But like, what if that's the kind of church that we were all the time? That like, yeah, we've got, we've got lots of things going on and we're busy and lots of us have young kids and that's one of the busiest times of your life and yes, and all of those things. But what if we always didn't get caught up in like, well, I don't need to go to that conference. That has nothing to do with me. It actually does because you're a part of this family. 
I'm not, I'm, now, listen, there's no guilt trip of other people that, that aren't married that should have been there. That is not my point at all. My point is, like, this is the kind of example of how we want to be a family. Like, man, maybe I could be involved in this. Maybe I could do this. Maybe I can meet with this person because maybe, I'm not in the same situation in them, but I could speak the gospel truth into it all the same. So I just want to thank you for your faithfulness to our church. I love you. <laughs> love you, Essie. All right, so, church, um, I don't know if you realize this, for, especially for those of you who have been here. Um, we've got three weeks left in John. Isn't that crazy? Three weeks. I can't believe it. Um, does anybody know when we started this series besides Sarah? Because we just talked about it this week. September 12, 2001. 2001, huh? Two th- yes, 2001. When we got married, right? No, 20, you, yeah, 2021, right? September 12th. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not John Piper up here, right? Um, September 12th, 2021. That's just wild to think about. This is our 61st week in this book, and it's just incredible. And I'll tell you, I kind of have mixed emotions about it. One, I'm kind of sad. I'm sad it's over. I don't know about you, but like after spending this much time in the gospel, this much time talking about Jesus all the time, this much time in a book that, that I mean, I just absolutely love that teaches just, just so well about who Jesus Christ is. I'm sad to be leaving. It's just kind of become a part of who I am. I, hopefully it's kind of become a part of who you are. That's kind of the point of why we do this. But I'm also really excited for what's next. And for what's, if you've been here the last few weeks, you know how excited I am for what's next. And for, for us, that means Philippians. Oh, I can't wait for Philippians. We are going to man, we're going to dive deep into Philippians, and I just can't wait. There's so much of what exactly what we need to hear. Um, it's just amazing how a book written to a church 2,000 years ago is just as applicable to, to us now. This letter could have been written to our church. Like, Paul could have been written it to our church. I just can't wait for us to dive in. All that being said, these last three weeks in John, they're, they're really all kind of closing weeks, and so there are some really important things we're going to get to in John chapter 21. We're in chapter 20 this, 21, or 20 this week. There's some really important things we're going to see in chapter 21. But this week is the week we really get, kind of get to the heart of the book. We're going to get to the heart of it, to, to the heart of why John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, really wrote this book, because he's going to tell us. And not to spoil it, but we've been spoiling it since the very beginning. The answer is, I, I point to the thing, it's not there, saying to no one to believe. The, the answer is belief. That's why he wrote the book. Belief in the Son of God and through him, the Father. That's it. That's, that's why this book was written. But what we're going to see this week is that um, although we all come to faith in different ways, don't we? We all have a different path um, that, that we get there. We all have different speeds that we get there. Some of us save when we're little, some of us way later in life, all different speeds. We all have to deal with different issues. Christ is promising every single one of us the same things. And that's a beautiful thing. It's the thing that unites us. Whether you are just, man, listen, a lifelong, long, long, long-term, depraved sinner that gets saved at the end of your life, or whether you got saved when you're five years old singing a hymn with your hands in the air while drinking holy water, right? All of us are called and saved by the same Jesus to the same thing, with the same promises, with the same new life. And we're going to see that today. We're going to see that today through a bunch of scared disciples. We're going to see... Um, we're going to see it through a man with just, I'm going to say like just enormous, I'm going to say stubborn doubt, just stubborn doubt. And we're going to see it through a resurrected savior that has more, more than enough patience and love and grace for all of them, for all of us. That's where we're going today. So with that, turn to John chapter 20. <clears throat> 
We're going to start in verse 19. We're going to spend most of our time in the first part of this, but we're going to go all the way through the end of the chapter today. So John chapter 20, verse 19, read with me. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Okay, let's stop there for a minute. The, 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 the passage says it starts on the evening of that day. So just to make sure we're all on the same page, particularly if you haven't been with us lately or this is your first time with us, um, what on that day is referring to where, where we've been is Jesus has been crucified. Yeah, he has gone to the cross to be our sacrificial lamb. That happened on Friday. And then on Sunday is the day where they, they went to the empty tomb and he wasn't there. So Mary, Mary saw the empty tomb. The disciples saw the empty tomb. And, and at least Mary, at least Mary had an encounter with Jesus himself. So when this is taking place is that night, right? That night of that day. So what, where, we're, where we're landing is the disciples were so pumped that Jesus is alive or probably alive. They're so encouraged. They're so excited about everything that's happened that they go and lock themselves in a room. It's kind of crazy, right? They went and locked themselves in a room. Now, we could give them a hard time for that, for not having more faith or whatever else. And, and, and maybe we should, but um, they're scared. It says they're scared of the Jewish leaders. Like, listen, the Jewish leaders literally just killed their leader, just killed their teacher, just killed who a lot of them think is their Lord. And so they have a real fear that they're going to come after them too. And they're going to try to, if not just arrest them, try to kill them too. So maybe they should have had more faith. Maybe they should have remembered Christ's words when he literally told them these kind of things were going to happen. Maybe they should have been more bold, maybe. But here's what's What's crazy about this is Jesus doesn't seem to be concerned with all that, does he? He doesn't seem to be concerned with their lack of faith and trust. Can, can maybe that be a lesson to all of us in this moment? Because I think most of us can kind of feel a little bit what we feel like the disciples kind of deserved here. I mean, he told them this was going to happen. And now he's, a, a, he's risen from the dead. He appeared to Mary. Mary came and told them. Like, they saw angels. They saw all this. Now they're locked in a room. But Jesus doesn't respond in the way that he could have. Some of us feel like he should have. And so my, my, my thing I want us to think about is how often are you harder on yourself for your lack for your faith, for your failures, for your faithlessness, for your imperfections than Christ himself is. Some of us are harder on ourselves about wherever we lack than Christ himself is. Or maybe we're harder on our spouse or maybe we're harder on someone else than, than Christ ever would be. Now, what's Christ's response in this? He appears to them in a locked room and he says, peace be with you. So first off, so apparently now Jesus in his resurrected glorified body can now do things like appear in locked rooms. If you haven't ever heard that before, but that's kind of crazy. He didn't do things like that before his resurrected body, but it's not just that. You know, if you, if you read the gospel accounts, he also appears to people and they have no idea it's him. 
right? He, he does that on the road to Emmaus. He did that with Mary for a second. Like he's standing there and they don't know it's Jesus, right? He, he seems, we're going to see here in a second, he seems to know um, what people are thinking. And Jesus always did that. But now he seems to know what people are thinking, even when he wasn't even close to them, even when he wasn't anywhere around. He'll show up later and say, right, yeah, this is what you were thinking, which maybe Jesus could do that before. And so G- and Jesus just materializing, materializing places. He'll just be somewhere. And then all of a sudden he's just there. So this is Jesus in his glorified, resurrected body. So although Jesus hasn't ascended into heaven yet, he seems to be taking on more of his godhood than before he was resurrected in his glorified body. We're going to see this in Philippians, or in Philippians 2, that, that Jesus set aside some of his godhood so that he could come down and truly be a man, all the powers that he could use at any time. And it seems to be taking more of those back, back on as he does things like pass through walls. And maybe we shouldn't be that surprised. It seems like a couple of weeks ago when Jesus was wrapped in the tomb in those grave clothes, wrapped up that he didn't just like tear them off when he was raised from the dead. They were just laying there in a nice little neat pile. It seems that he passed through those grave clothes too as Jesus left death behind him. So this is who Jesus is now. It's kind of amazing. It kind of points to and makes me wonder what our resurrected bodies are going to be like when we're resurrected in heaven. I'm really hoping we're going to be able to fly. So... And really bad. I don't know, but really bad. In John 14, 27, Jesus pops up, pops up the room and says, peace be with you. But I want you to turn back to John 14, 27. I want us to see how Jesus has been pointing to this moment for a long time. John 14, 27. I had these for, for us on the screen today, but um, man, we're just going to be forced to flip through our Bibles. How terrible. I think all I have today is in John, though, so it's going to be easy. John 14, 27 says this. Peace I leave with you, and I love this. My peace, not just peace, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In this moment, they're afraid, but Jesus, ahead of time, is preparing them. Like, listen, don't be afraid. Turn to John 16. Look over John 16, 32. John 16, 32. This one's amazing. Behold, the hour is coming. In John, when it refers to the hour, what's it referring to? The crucifixion, right? That's what it's always referring to. Behold, the hour is coming. The crucifixion is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone, which is exactly what happened when Jesus was arrested and crucified. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. See that he's preparing them for this moment. He's telling them exactly what's going to happen. They're going to be scattered. But he's saying, I have and am overcoming the world. You don't have to be afraid. I'm going to conquer sin. I'm going to conquer death. I'm going to conquer my enemies. You can have peace. He told them this was coming. The hour was coming that they didn't have to worry. They, they could take heart because he's overcome the world. And because he's overcome the world, they can have peace. For he is giving them, listen, this is what Christ has given you, not just peace. He's given you his peace. And that becomes important because um, the word peace in the Bible, all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament, is a common word. In the Hebrew, we've, probably, we've talked about this word before. In the Hebrew, it's that word shalom, right? And shalom really means a, a whole life peace, Right? It's not just the absence of struggle or conflict, but it's, it's, it's in all circumstances you have wholeness. Right? You have wholeness, spiritual, emotional, physical 
wholeness in your life. That, that, that sh- that's what kind of shalom represents. And I think Jesus is referring to that here. He's not, it's not less than that. It's just more than that. He's giving them his peace. And so one of the greatest things Jesus did for, did for us on the cross is, yes, becoming our sacrificial lamb, paying for our sins, taking our punishment, yes and amen. But maybe the best thing he did is to, through all of that, give us his righteousness. His righteousness, listen, his rightness. His holy perfection. He gave us his perfect obedience. Because I don't know if you think about it this way. Because of our sin, we were at war with God. At war with him. The Bible describes it as hostility. There was a hostile relationship between us and God. We've got to understand that. Like, this is not just something that that Jesus had against us. Like, God, the God of the universe was hostile against us because of our sin. We were at war. But Jesus, Jesus made it right. That's what this whole thing is about. Jesus made it right. So when he said, it is finished, from the cross... We went from at war with God, not to having a ceasefire or just having peace with God, but, but a wholeness with him as we were given new life as his children. Right? That's the piece that it's talking about. Give, we were given new life in him as his, his children. Eternal blessing. Eternal life that is defined by blessing. This is the peace that Jesus is talking about when he comes into the room with him. This is the peace that all believers have when they believe in God, when they believe in Christ. There is a reason, church, that most of the New Testament letters written to the churches in particular start with a phrase, generally with this phrase, grace to you in Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace in Jesus Christ. This is how these letters start Great, because of the grace in Jesus Christ, you have peace. And I don't, think of, I don't think we think about how that's one of the greatest treasures that we have from God, that we have peace with him. But forever, God's not looking at you perpetually disappointed in you not being enough. He's not perpetually angry about your sin. He's, he's not always feeling let down by you because you're not good enough. No, he looks at you as his child, as his. He loves you. He glorifies over you. He wants the best for you. You have peace with God. He wants you to experience that wholeness, that whole life peace that comes with what his son did for you on the cross and, and how he loves you as his child. It's one of the greatest gifts we've been given. So after he says, peace be with you, he shows them his hands, his feet, his side. And the disciples, this the least surprising thing ever, they're glad. They're glad to see him. They're happy. They're, they're overjoyed to see him alive again. Listen, have you ever thought about this? We read this, but can you actually imagine this moment? Have, have it, for those of us in the room that have lost someone really dear to us, Right? Like, I've lost my mom and my dad. Like, I've lost someone really dear to us. Can you imagine after losing them, after they died, especially the way Christ died, it was such a terrible, awful way to a few days later get them back? Can you imagine how you would have felt? I don't want this to feel overly dramatic, but we read this like it's a story. This actually happened. The disciples were in the room and Jesus appeared alive. Can you imagine like just being blown away for one, but like the joy. I can just imagine they're just weeping with joy. Like Christ is here. What? He really is here. 
I can't imagine what it would have been like to get my dad back three days later. This is what's happening in this moment. This is the joy that they're experiencing. And this is a moment that Jesus told them was coming. If you weren't, if you turn away from John 16, turn back to John 16. I'll read John 16, 20 through 22. John 16, 20 says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Is that not exactly what happened on the cross? The high priests are mocking Jesus, celebrating that he's crucified while they are destroyed. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour, there's that phrase again, her hour, this is pointing to Christ's crucifixion. She, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Listen, how faithful is Christ to them? How faithful is our God? When Jesus said this, they didn't understand. Like, they couldn't understand. Wait, wait, you're coming back to us? When are you leaving? And what do you, what do you mean we're going to have sorrow? They didn't understand what was happening. But now they're on the other side of the cross, aren't they? And they're finally starting to see. They're finally starting to get it. And they, they not only get to be a part of the greatest miracle that Christ has ever done rising from the dead. They get to remember his words. And despite their doubts and their fear and confusion, they get to see once again how incredibly faithful Jesus Christ is to them. They're hiding in a locked room because they're afraid, because they didn't listen. But what does Jesus do? He appears to them and says, peace to you. And he even told them this was going to happen. What an amazing God we serve. What, what grace, what patience, what joy this moment must have been for them. In verse 21, once again, he says, peace be with you. And then he says, as the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. Listen, Jesus has accomplished what he came to do. To make the Father known to glorify his Father, and to bring the light of salvation to the world. He's accomplished that. It is finished. Now he's telling them, it's your turn. I was sent so that you might be sent. Now, maybe you know this, but I want you to hear this, church. Um, Jesus has not called the disciples, and he has not called you to replace him. You hear me on that? You're, you're not meant to replace Christ. This is not what he's saying to them. I'm leaving, so now, so, so now you go save the world. Listen, we do not save the world. And some of us grew up in, in churches. Like I had a conversation just the other day, right? We grew up in churches where it basically said, hey, it's your responsibility to go save the world, to go change the world, could try to do all these things. But then you start to grow up and you realize like, I'm just a person. I'm not going to save the world. So now you feel like you're, you're not good enough. You're, you're not great enough. You're not what you should be because you're not out there saving everybody. Listen, that what, what damage we've done through that. You don't save anybody. You were never meant to save anybody. You were meant to be faithful to Jesus Christ as he sent you. And he sent you just to tell people about him because he's the one that saves. He's the one that takes people from darkness to light. He is the one that takes people from death to new life through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
That's what we trust in. We don't trust in our own ability to give a perfect gospel presentation. We trust that Christ is enough to use us in our brokenness. Hey, listen, even in the midst of our sin, even when we say the wrong thing, even when we struggle to be with us, to be for us, to guide us, and to give us the Holy Spirit to go out there and just be faithful. That's it. Just be faithful. He is sending his disciples and he is sending you and me just to proclaim the truth. And we're just to follow his example of proclaiming that truth, knowing that, again, he is with us in that. Now, as you can guess, I want to spend a whole lot of time here. Right? For those of you who know me, I want to spend so much time here. But here's the thing. In the coming weeks, particularly in chapter 1 of Philippians, we're going to talk a lot more about the gospel, about our responsibility to take the gospel, about what that means. We're going to spend some time there. For, for, so for now, just let this sink in. And don't let, what I'm about to say, don't let this be another reason for you to carry condemnation. Let this be an encouragement to you. You have not been saved by Jesus Christ just for you. As Esther wasn't looking at the marriage conference as something that she didn't need, so she didn't need to show up. No, she saw it as an opportunity. Like, hey, listen, that's an opportunity for me to share the gospel with other married people so they might be encouraged in there. You were not saved just for you. You were saved so that you might take the joy and the hope and the peace of Jesus Christ and proclaim it to others so they might have the same. Hear me, church, this is not about you not living up to your responsibilities and for you to just be better. Be a better Christian and tell more people about Jesus. We are to go and rejoice in who Jesus is, rejoice at his goodness, rejoice that he saved us, and then share that joy with other people. Share the hope, share the salvation that comes with walking out of darkness into light. So yeah, of course, we need to be a church and be strong and invest in each other and invest in our relationship with the Lord so we know that joy, so we know that hope, but then we're called to go and tell other people about it. Because it is the truth. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the way. And, and Christ is already promising us in John and in so many other places, he's not leaving us alone in that. That he's going to be with us that he's going to send a helper. That you're not alone because he has sent and will send the helper, the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to the Holy Spirit, let's jump back into John chapter 20 and read in verse 22 and 23. Verse 22, John 20, 22 says this. And when he had said this about sending them, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, there is so much to say on these two verses. Like so, like so much. We could have spent the whole time, I basically would have had to teach a class on these two verses. So, everything I'm going to say, if, if you really love to dive in deep to the word, and I hope that you do, these are two verses that I want you to spend some time with. Listen, go buy a commentary. Dive in like, and see what you think of these. But um, these are two of the most debated. Well, there's one of these that's a really, really debated passage and another one um, that seems really, really confusing. So it seems like the one that would be really confusing and hard to understand is verse 23. That one's actually pretty simple. Verse 22 that seems pretty straightforward is the one that's tough. 
So, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about why. Um, so I'm going to be as brief as I can. Verse 22 is just like one of the most highly debated verses in John so far, which is shocking to me, right? But when I went, I, I read and read and read on this. Um, so here's why. Jesus seems to be saying that he's breathing out. That's how, how God uses, like when he's like, when God created the world, he, he breathed out creation, right? So this is just an example of how God, what God does, how he interacts with us sometimes through his spirit, that Jesus Christ is breathing out the Holy Spirit on them. That seems pretty straightforward, right? He said he was going to do it. He said he was going to give them the Holy Spirit. And this seems to be the moment that he's giving them the Holy Spirit. But, of course, the but's coming, right? Here's the thing. After this happens, in a week from now, do you know where these men are again? We're, gonna, we're about to read it. Do you know where they are again? In a locked room. Still afraid. Nothing's changed. They're not bold. They're not going out and sharing the gospel. They're not telling about people about Jesus. They seem to be basically the exact same dudes. Now, can we contrast that a second when a time when we know for sure that the Holy Spirit came in power, Acts 2. And we don't have time to go to Acts 2 today, so sorry, but like in Acts 2, it was the day of Pentecost after Jesus has already ascended and the Holy Spirit descends and fills his believers and crazy things happen, right? People start speaking and they're hearing everybody in their own language, right? We call that tongues, but this is crazy even for tongues. Like everybody's just hearing in their own language. And by the way, this, this disciple Peter, who's now been locked, is locked in a room right now and is going to be locked in a room scared in a week from now, scared Peter, who's run away and denied Christ, stands up in front of a bunch of people, some of those who would want to kill him and proclaims the gospel with such power, with such boldness that thousands of people get saved. It is one of the craziest moments. Scared Peter becomes an unstoppable monster for the gospel along with the rest of the disciples. Everything changes after Pentecost, but not here. Nothing changes. And by the way, Jesus said, I'm going to send the helper after I leave you, when I leave, I'll send you the helper. Yet right here it says he breathes out the Holy Spirit on them. What is happening here? Here, I'm going to give you the, the real answer. I don't say this a lot, but when I need to, I do. I'm not positive. But here's what I think. I want you to study for yourself. Here's what I think is right. I think in this moment, this is Jesus answering the promise, the Holy Spirit is with you, the Holy Spirit is coming. This is like a symbolization. This is a symbol to them that like my promises are coming true. But also I think in this moment, the Holy Spirit really is with them because they are changed whether they see it yet or not. The new covenant has come. Jesus has died. His blood has been shed. And the new covenant starts with the blood of Jesus Christ. So I think these men have always by faith believed, but going from Old Testament, New Testament, belief comes through. It was always about the sacrifice that would come through the Messiah. So these men are believers. They're new covenant believers in this moment. This is what I think is happening. But as in the power of the Holy Spirit, the helper come to transform them and be with them so they might take the gospel out, that hasn't happened yet. It's a promise that it's going to come. It's a symbol that it's going to come. But Acts 2 is when it really happens. Jesus sins, and then sends the Holy Spirit like he promised. That's what I think is happening right here. From a passage that seemed pretty straightforward to like, huh, oh, that's, that's tough. Okay, but study it for yourself. Verse 23. Verse, let's read verse 23 again, because this is one of those you read the first time and you're like, what? Verse 23 says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. 
if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Does that sound like a crazy verse? Doesn't it sound like it's giving us the power to forgive sins? But who has the power to forgive sins? God, through Christ, that's it. We don't have that power. So what's going on here? It's actually not that hard to understand if you spend some time with it and you have really smart people that know what they're talking about. So I had to go to a commentary for this one too because I don't know Greek. And so in the Greek, this one makes a whole lot more sense. And so this, this was originally written in Greek and the translation's actually accurate. It means what it means, but it's written in what they call in Greek, a passive voice. It's written a passive. And so what that means when something's written a passive voice like this, it's not written as in you take the action. The passive voice in the context of, of the, what's going on around it is God is the, is the actor in this. You're, you're, you're passively involved in what it's saying here. Does that make sense? And so let's take it in context. Context always matters. Jesus just said, I was sent and now I'm sending you. And in the sending of you, you have the power to forgive sins or not forgive sins. But here's what he's saying. It's in the context of the gospel. So let me give you just, let's just use an example, a story. You go to share the gospel with someone and you tell them about Jesus Christ and they accept the truth. Is it okay for you to say, you truly do believe in Jesus Christ as your savior? Yes. Listen, your sins are forgiven. Is that appropriate? Absolutely. Like they believe in Christ. It says in scripture, they proclaim Christ. They believe in their heart, the Christ, and they confess with their mouth. They are forgiven. So we can say, according to scripture, according to the good news, you are forgiven. But what if somebody, you, you lay out the gospel and you have that long conversation in the end, they're like, I just can't believe it. I just, I just can't believe it. I'm not going to believe it. It is not only appropriate, but it is your responsibility to say, listen, Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. Without him, there is no eternal life. There is no forgiveness. Is that okay to do? Yes. So in the context of being sent out by Christ, this is talking about we now have the power to go out through the power of the Holy Spirit by the gospel of Jesus Christ to go out and share the truth. And if people accept it and they believe in Jesus Christ, we can say, praise God, you're forgiven of your sins. That's what I do every single week. But if they don't believe it to say, listen, you're not forgiven. You're under the wrath of God. You're going to go to hell. You're separated from God. Remember, you have a hostile relationship with God. Believe in Jesus Christ. It's our responsibility to do that. That's what's actually going on here. There's other places in scripture where this happens. Matthew 18 in reference to church discipline and one other place that we're not going to go to today. But that's what's actually going on here. So it's actually not that complicated if we are able to, you know, read Greek. But there's people really smart that have looked into this before. And so that's what's going on here. And so it just, once again, gives us an example of why it's so important for us to share the gospel. Why it's so important for us to tell people about the truth. Because listen, we have the words of truth. We have the words of eternity. We, and by the power of the Holy Spirit within us, we have the words of eternal life or eternal damnation. Because again, we don't save, we tell, but we know what the truth is. So we must go out and we must take the responsibility for what Christ has given us to do and to take that seriously and make it a part of who we are. Okay, so much more I want to say, but we're going to get there and we're going to really dive into that in a couple months. So with that, we're going to kind of close the first encounter that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus had with his disciples. Let's look at his second encounter, verse 24. Look at verse 24. What time is it? Okay, I'm all right. I'm like, it's like, it feels like I've covered four verses and we're, like, we're going to be here until tomorrow, but we're okay. This one's going to go a lot quicker. This one's going to go a lot quicker. All right, so John 
Chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, one of the 12 disciples, called the twin, and by the way, we don't know why he's called the twin. It's a nickname. He probably was a twin, but we don't know who his twin was, just so you know. So Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Okay, verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and he stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put, your, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him with an exclamation point. My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Okay, so it seems for whatever reason, a reason that we don't know, Thomas wasn't present when Jesus appeared before. So what we can think about, there's probably 10 disciples there, right? Judas, he, he's out, right? And Thomas wasn't there for whatever reason. And he says, I'm not going to believe in Jesus unless I see, unless I touch, unless I put my hands in his wounds for myself. I mean, that's some stubbornness, right? Like all of the other disciples, like we have seen him. He appeared in a room that was locked. It was crazy. We saw the room. No, unless I touch it for myself, no. I'm not going to believe it. Man, that, that is intense. So here's the thing. Throughout John, Jesus has actually condemned those that will only believe when they get to see miracles. He's like, like, you're only going to believe you get to see miracles. He seems to condemn that. So maybe that's the reaction we should expect from Jesus here. Right? Kind of condemnation towards Tom, Thomas. When Thomas shows just just doubt that is just obstinate. Like this is not, we all have doubts at times, right? We all struggle with certain things. This is obstinate doubt towards belief in Jesus Christ as the resurrected savior. So maybe that's what we should expect in this moment is condemnation. But is that what we see when Jesus appears once again? No, the next Sunday, and no wonder they worship on Sundays now, they move from Saturday to Sunday because Jesus keeps appearing on Sundays as the resurrected Savior. No, the next Sunday, Jesus once again appears in a locked room and he says, peace be with you. But then Jesus does something pretty surprising. Jesus doesn't address the doubt. He doesn't call out Thomas for being stubborn. He doesn't call him out for his lack of trust and faith in his fellow brothers in Christ. I mean, these guys have spent three years at least, at least together. They've gone through everything together and he just blatantly casts them aside. He doesn't call him out for his lack of faith and trust in his fellow disciples. Jesus in this moment could have, and it feels like he should have just reminded them of all of the things he said and promised to prepare them for this, to prepare Thomas for this exact moment, because he did those things. He did it again and again. But what actually happened is so encouraging to me, a man who is sinful, and I hope it's encouraging to you. Jesus just simply looked at him and said, look at my wounds. Thomas, touch him. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Believe, Thomas. 
Man, what grace, what love this moment really is. As I said before, so many of us live lives of like almost perpetual disappointment. Like God is perpetually disappointed in us for not being better. And we treat ourselves that way. Sometimes we treat others that way. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't seem to. It seems that Thomas believing and understanding is what matters most to Christ in this moment. Of course, Jesus cares about our sin. He died a terrible death on the cross for our sin. That's how costly our sin is. That's how big of a deal it is. Of course, Jesus cares about our sin, but not so that he can condemn us. For those of us that believe, not so that he condemn us, but so that he might set us free from it. And we see from Thomas's response, if you look at it rightly, if you see from Thomas's response in this moment, he was set free. He goes from fear and doubt and confusion and obstinance to basically feeling like he's been enslaved ever since Christ has been arrested and killed on the cross. And he goes from that to one of the clearest and one of the best proclamations of who Jesus Christ is in all of the gospel. My Lord and my God. It's an explanation point. He's not just saying, he's like, my Lord. I bet he fell on his knees. My Lord and my God. He is set free to see Jesus for who he really is and to see who he really is in Christ. He he finally sees it, and he has been set free by the grace and love of his Savior. That, that's just amazing. Not condemnation. Jesus is setting him free. What if we could do the same, church? What if we would just believe and be set free in the same way so that we might be might be able to really, like to really leave our sin and failure behind and just cry out in love and awe, my Lord and my God. Like that's just not, it's calling out like as a savior, as like in desperation, my Lord and my God, just in awe of who he is, in awe of what he's done. And I want to give you all to follow him because you know he's done that for you. And then Jesus says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, some people think that's kind of a shot at Thomas. I don't think that's what Jesus meant at all. I don't think, I don't think he was trying to diminish what Thomas is going through or, or he tried to diminish what Thomas just said, what he just proclaimed, this amazing thing he just proclaimed. I think what Christ is doing in this moment is he's looking forward to you. And he's looking forward to me so that we might understand just how blessed we really are how blessed we are to not get to spend time with actual physical Christ yet still believe. God blesses that. Blessing can mean joy. Blessing can mean happiness. But here in this context, what Jesus is saying, I think it means more than that. It means fully accepted. Fully accepted and looked out for by God that those who believe not by sight but by faith will be blessed, will have joy, will have contentment, will know that God is always with them because they are fully accepted and God will rain down blessings on you because of that, because you have believed without seeing that he is with his believers in all things and through all things. I think that's what's happening here. Church, by having faith in Christ, by believing in who he says he is, we have peace with God.
We are blessed by God. We are given life in Christ. And we have been invited into the same mission that Christ had to be sent so that we might tell others about the kingdom of the Father. What a privilege that is. Some might say, some might say that's exactly why John wrote this book through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let's close out today with verse 30 and 31. 30 and 31 in John chapter 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We have said from the very first week of this series, and John just told us plainly as a witness to all of this, and why he just told us why he wrote the account of the life of his Lord and Savior, so that we might know Christ, so that we might believe in Christ, and so that we might have life, right? Not getting by, not like always at war with our sin and struggling and perpetually disappointed, but we might have life in Christ. Church, what we read today, sometimes we just read this as the resurrected Jesus, and, he, and this is just, just a story, and he came to Thomas, and Thomas had doubts, and I have doubts sometimes, and, and whatever. No, that's not what this is. This is one of those passages, if you see it for what it is, that can shape the way that you see Christ, and through that, shape the way that you see yourself in Christ. Because despite all of their weaknesses and all their faithlessness and their doubts and their fear, Christ is there with his disciples to show them the truth, to give them grace, and to point them to the life they have in him. That's what he did in this moment. Not condemnation. Come and be set free. Come and have life in me. Come believe in what I've promised you. So this is it. This is all I want to leave you with today. Is this how you see your God? Is this how you see your Savior? As perpetually disappointed or right there with you, helping you there with you in those moments so that he might set you free from those failures so that you might move forward. Church, yes, we need to take our sin and we need to take our selfishness and whatever else tries to hinder us. We need to take those things seriously. But do we see ourselves rightly even in that? Do we see ourselves in the light who Christ says we, we are? Or do we see it rooted in what the enemy wants to atta- attack us with? Always trying to bring us down and bring us low and tell us we're worthless and accuse us with things and all of those things. Do we seeing this rightly? Are we seeing Christ for who he really is? Because the only way you're going to see yourself rightly is to see Christ rightly. There's people in this world that are judgmental. There's people in this world that want to bring you down. There's pe- and then uh, the scripture literally says the accuser is accusing you day and night. There is a spiritual war going on around you all the time. And the accuser wants to actually most of the time use things that you've actually done and thought to try to ground you into the ground. And a lot of us are believing those things, embracing those things, and letting them swirl around in our mind until we feel like we're not good enough. Christ is setting you free. See Christ rightly, and then you'll be able to see yourself rightly. So the question is today, do you live in that truth? 
Do you fight? Do you fight to believe that truth? Because there's a war going on. And if you're not doing what Romans 12 says, to renew your mind so that you might be transformed to be more like Jesus, you're going to lose that battle. This is why I tell you to be in the Word of God. This is why I tell you to be in a discipleship relationship. This is why I'm always calling you to be in a life group. Not so you can check the box and be a good church person, so that you can win the war for your, for your soul from an enemy that wants to crush you versus a, a Savior who wants to give you life. And his scripture literally says this, to give you life that is full of Christ's joy, a life that is abundant. Not just saved, abundant life filled with joy because God glories over you. He adores you. You are his beloved. He wants to set you free. Do you live in that truth? Do you actively fight for that truth? And do you fight for others to know and believe in that truth? John wrote this entire book so that you might. It's that important. It matters that much. Will you make it that important to you too? Oh, church, I pray that you will. I pray that I will. Let's pray. Oh God, what an amazing truth. Father, what an amazing God that you are. But not looking at us by what we deserve, but through the lens of your grace. God, we just praise you that our sin can never outweigh your love, your grace, and your mercy. God, I pray that you would help us take our sin seriously in the appropriate way. That yes, we'd feel the weight of it and we'd see the, the, just the devastation of it and the offense that it is to you, but we'd take the shame and the guilt of our sin to you. God, teach us to do that, to, to bring it to you. And to believe what, what you have done, to believe what Christ says, believe what this, this, this book is trying to teach us, that we can bring our sin to you and we can be set free so that we can move forward into an abundant life in you, full of joy. Like to rejoice, to be happy in what you've done for us, God. This is what you're promising us, but it's so hard to hold on to. So Lord, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would give us a conviction, Lord, today to want to be in relationships with others, to, to be in discipleship and to be in life group and, and to be involved in each other's lives so that we might encourage each other in this, so that we might hold on to this, so we might fight for this. God, I, th I threw this. I pray that you would just, just do this amazing thing. I pray that you would just sweep through our church and through this neighborhood like wildfire, the joy of following you, the joy of being set free. God, I just pray more than anything, Jesus, that we might see you rightly that we might see your glory and live for your glory rightly. Because if we can see that, then who we are in you will work itself out. So God, maybe that's my, my number one prayer above all else. God, help us to see you. Help us to see your son rightly so that we might follow you faithfully. Jesus, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Church, I'm going to be over in the corner. Esther's already over there. If you need prayer, man, we'd love to pray with you. If you need to confess, man, we just, in the marriage conference we heard this week, there's power in confession. Through confession, Jesus Christ sets us free and heals us. So if you need to confess, I'm, man, I'm not over there in that corner to judge you. I'm with you in the fight. 
So if you need to confess, if you just need to pray for someone, if you need to pray for yourself, whatever it might be, let's, let's be a family. Let's pray together. Otherwise, why don't you stand and let's worship our God in song.